This is a podcast by Lumina, the perfect space to innovate, collaborate and grow in health, science and tech. Dr. Kelvin Ross, welcome to Health Tech Talks. A pleasure to be here today. Kelvin, you have an impressive career in software engineering and IT spanning more than 30 years. Currently, you're the director of the Queensland Artificial Intelligence Hub, the chief technology officer with Datawei, a Gold Coast company producing real-world data for AI-enabled medical innovation, and you're an adjunct associate professor at the Institute for Intelligent and Integrated Systems at Griffith University. And this is just naming a couple of your current roles and interests. Let's start, Kelvin, by getting a bit of an understanding of you and your interest in this sector. Where did your interest in software, AI and IT come from? I started out as a a kid in high school getting interested in in computing and got a VIC-20 and a 7K of memory, not not gigabytes or anything like that, and uh, self-taught to program. But then I started a job in the water resources, measuring rivers and collecting data. And that was sort of what interested me in getting more involved in datas and computing, and then took up a computer science degree, uh, moved back to Brisbane, got a cadetship with defence, got into avionics, combat systems, and then ultimately did a PhD in software engineering in that space. And you spent some time in Torres and Cape? Yeah, yeah. So that time when I left high school, I uh, yeah moved up as a 17-year-old to Mariba to work as a cadet hydrographer in Cape York in the Gulf, uh, travelling around by four-wheel drives and helicopters and pretty remote, amazing countryside. And, you know, the interesting thing thing behind that now is the innovation work that I'm doing elsewhere with one of my companies is is sort of revisiting that. You know, we're working with some Indigenous communities up in Cape York around some uh, traditional rock art using drones to help do heritage mapping back in the same area that I used to work, but now up there using more advanced technologies than what we had, dare I say, 35 years ago. (laughs) Isn't that great how it's come full circle? Yeah, yeah. Everything I find in my career now is back to the future, right? It's sort of like even coming back to the avionics side and stuff like that. It it just keeps reaching cycling itself. You're obviously very passionate about what you do and the role of AI and data in healthcare. Why Mm. is that? I love technology and I think, but it's not just for the sake of technology, but what technology can solve. So I think at the heart of it is that problem solving mentality, but also understanding the context that you need to innovate and raise funding and and do it to actually do that problem solving. I think I'm mainly driven to solve problems with it, whether that's health problems, defence problems, Indigenous heritage, you know, things I find now in my career, almost legacy things that I'm working on, you know, no longer do I work in finance, you know, it's, uh, I'm more driven by, you know, health as a purpose or Indigenous culture as a purpose or environment as a purpose. And you can obviously see where it can lead. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the thing is, you never know where it leads. I almost go, oh, that kind of sounds like a good idea at the time. And uh, it's a remarkable how things just with a collaborative, open mindset and getting together with like-minded people with purpose, how those things evolve. And, you know, these crazy little ideas you had at the time about flying a drone up in Cape York, next minute turns into a funded project with, uh, you know, Indigenous traineeships and working with Indigenous park rangers to to start processing data or, or, you know, even working in the healthcare area in that same area, creating pathways for people. What project are you most proud of in terms of the impact it has on patient care? Yeah, look, it's it's a long journey for patient care. I think uh, uh, you go into this space thinking you want to make this immediate need, but you know that this is a long journey in healthcare. It takes a long time to get something from the idea 
to actually to the bedside. So, uh, you know, I think the insights that we're, we're getting now from the data and what possibilities that can create is really inspiring. That's, I don't need to work, but that's what gets me out of bed out of the morning to sort of wanting to make that change and innovate. But I also realise that we're still got so long to go to actually get this AI technology into the bedside to have a real impact on patients. And when you say getting AI at the patient bedside, what's an mm. example of that? Yeah, so the classic example would be early detection of a disease. So in our area, we work in intensive care. One of the largest causes of death in intensive care is sepsis, like a blood infection. So if we could actually detect that earlier so that we could start courses of antibiotics and so on earlier, every hour that we do that earlier increases like the rates of survival by about 10%. So it's those sort of things about detecting things early so that you can intervene earlier and the outcomes are better. But then there's a lot of um, medical errors that are made. One of the largest causes of death is actually preventable medical errors. So how could we eliminate those sort of simple errors, medication errors and things like that to have a better quality check on how things are done? Um, you know, medicine's very complex. There's a lot of data, there's a lot of communication, there's a lot of new diagnostics, but how, what are these new tools that will help the clinical people with their cognitive load and be able to make sure that things aren't slipping through the cracks? You've been involved in some really critical work during the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you share a little about that with us? You, you might recall COVID kicked off uh, early in 2020, and that was also when our funding kicked off. So we spent about two years uh, stacking up our project and getting the approvals from government and our partners. And that officially started March 2020, which also was literally two weeks before the whole country shut down. So we were scrambling, but then one of the projects straight away, because we were already starting to pull this data together, was how can we sort of look at that data to help understand, you know, the impact on ICU and, and so on for COVID. And luckily our, our ICU units weren't hit tremendously hard like they were in other countries. You know, a lot of things we put in place in Australia and in our health jurisdictions minimise the impact on our health system. I mean, it's still been massive, but we didn't get overwhelmed ICU units like they did in the US and, and uh, Europe. Yeah, making insights of data. So we pretty much mobilised our team straight away on an aspect there that we were funded to start looking at COVID-related data and how it's used in ICU. And um, yeah, so that, that was quite mobilising for our team. It was stressful at the time. Uh, we knew that things were changing pretty quick and we were in contact with a lot of ICU units around the world in similar circumstances. But uh, it turned out a lot of the data, you know, using data for COVID has been sort of a bit of a double-edged sword. You know, it's, a lot of data gets sort of misread or misinterpreted and cherry-picked. Um, so what it's really raised is the importance of how data is used and processed and how it's shared. We've still got a long way to go. Um, you know, before our next pandemic, which hopefully is sometime before then. But I think it has opened the world up to the importance of data and the importance of accurate data and interpretation of data to make, you know, really good decisions. You're one of the principal coaches for Lumina X, which is the health tech accelerator program here at Lumina where we're recording today and at Cohort. Why is this program so valuable for health tech startups and for the healthcare system? Yeah, look, I think the healthcare system needs innovative startups. I think traditionally, if you look at the way healthcare has evolved, it's probably traditionally come from you know, researchers, clinical people, 
you know, that university research in, in the pharmaceuticals area, you know, it's many years of developing a drug in a lab and so on. But what we're finding now is technology is becoming a cornerstone, like particularly software, how that might be used. But a lot of those innovators aren't going to be your traditional researchers. You know, yes, universities need to get better at commercialization, translation, but a lot of that innovation is going to come from clinical people it's going to come from nurses and doctors who are solving problems at the bedside and see a better way of doing that and then start start teaming up to develop you know in this case with medtech there's going to be a lot of growth of software as a medical device but then you're looking at driving that problem solving in a different way and then having to go and form teams bring together clinical technology people commercial people go out and find funding in a different way so i think trying to solve these future um, health problems that we've got to help our health system scale we're going to need this sort of med tech innovation approach to, to augment how we do that. And so the program, I guess, takes someone who may not have a background in business, like you say, mm. a clinician who's used to working at the bedside, not used to running a business, and giving them those tools, I guess, to take an idea through to fruition. Exactly. So I think a big part of the sort of uh, accelerator programs is uh, giving people a support network. Uh, there's a lot of skills that they've got to develop. We always say that uh, med tech innovation requires a, a healer, a hacker and a hustler. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you know, there's no unicorns out there that have all three of those. And even if they did, they won't have enough bandwidth to actually solve all of those three problems to grow their thing. So, so part of it is how do we bring those innovators together, those people? And typically it starts with the clinician or the, the nurse who knows the problem they're having day to day and, and thinks of this other way of solving it. And then you want to team them up with technical people and team them up with commercial people. And the first time you do that, um, that they'll probably find that idea when they start to sit down and work out how to solve it and how to fund it and how to raise capital it won't all stick together but that education process means that probably the second or third time around they're going to be a successful innovator. So what are the main challenges Australian entrepreneurs in the health sector face and how can they overcome some of these challenges? Yeah I think the health sector what it's unique about in terms of like technology innovation is health has a really long life cycle. You know, the investment cycles are much longer. Uh, the health uh, sector is quite institutionalised. It's slow. So for those innovators, it's a lot longer path that requires, you know, how is that funded and, and so on. Uh, so I think the biggest challenge for them is is how they, they keep sustainability. And then you've got to really have a good return on investment model. So it might be a thing that you're really good at solving a health outcome. But if it doesn't actually save the system cost, the system just can't afford to keep making people healthier and healthier if they can't offset the cost of that because other areas of healthcare have to miss out. So those people have to be really good at thinking about how they build the business model around what they're trying to create and then how they interact with hospitals and have enough time and ramp time to be able to to go through those evidence processes and the regulatory processes and the adoption processes in that really slow-moving environment. On the flip side of that, what are the opportunities for healthcare startups? I think the opportunity is if you solve something that's quite groundbreaking. Um, it can be a really massive return on investment. 
but it's just unpicking that what you know there there's big returns in healthcare if you can deliver the outcomes so yeah. the opportunities are there if you can have the idea and get the right team around you That's which right. is what the accelerator program does doesn't exactly. it exactly and i think you know back to the individuals that purpose element that they might be a nurse in a hospital and dealing with tens sometimes dozens or in the rare case hundreds of patients but if they've got very innovative healthcare that leads to great outcomes not only is there a financial reward but you could be impacting hundreds of thousands or even millions of people's lives as as part of that innovation you're listening to health tech talks a podcast series delivered by lumina to find out more about lumina visit the website luminagoldcoast.com.au and sign up today to receive your lumina opportunities pack kind of startups do we need in the Australian healthcare sector? I think we need more people in this space because I think it is a uh, it, it's a big market internationally. Yeah, yes, it is slow, but Australia is well positioned globally to take a leadership position. What we find is startups come at all different stages. We almost need to help along those groups at, at many different stages. There'll be some that have got quite advanced ideas, their prototypes built, perhaps even their first or second customers. And what we want to do is help them scale and how to globalise and move into other markets. But that other bit we talked about with X is about educating that group about, you know, this might be their four, first foray into this area. Um, so they, they might be early stage, but it's really important to grow up that skills and network because uh, let's say their concept doesn't grow they probably will be a big contributor to other innovators in this space. It's a it's a fairly high demand area for, for acquiring skills in this space as well. And what sort of support is available to startups working in health and wellness? Yeah, the, the interesting thing about the support is yeah, probably most startups you talk to want capital, right? Um, but probably what they need also is is getting access to experts first in, in that space. So the first thing you want to do is connect them up within the medical space to open some doors for them. Uh, then when it comes time to capital, there's many different ways of doing that. There might be grant funding. There's a lot of different grant avenues for uh, medical technologies, whether that's a traditional research pathway, maybe coming you know, connected with the university, government funding and so on. But then ultimately moving to private capital. So you know, it's about educating those different avenues and where they need to be in terms of their proposition to access that. What role do you play in the coaching? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a bit of, I'm a techo, first of all. Yeah. Um, so I tend to look at more my role as a CTO, but I've sat pretty much across those sort of three, not so much the the healer role, but I've worked with a lot of healers. So I understand the medical clinical information systems. I know a bit about the domain and things like that, enough to have good conversations with clinical people. But primarily I sit on the technology side, but then I've also had successful businesses. Um, so I understand the, you know, how to form teams, how to manage people, how to, uh, you know, fund things and, and build a sustainable business. Capital raising still a bit of a, a sort of an enigma to me, you know, to go and raise, you know, sort of familiar with angel funding, seed funding, um, we're sort of dabbling in that series A, but it's still a mystery to me, how do you go and raise $30 million or $40 million, you know, that's, uh, but again, each stage is about what's the network that you're going to tap into and how do I help a person connect, get across to bridge from where they are now to the next step. Do you know what the success rate of health tech startups is? It wouldn't be high. I think generally for businesses and innovation, it's not as high as what people might think. 
think I don't have any specific stats about uh, health tech, but I know if you look at venture capital funding, it's you know it's all about a pipeline. So even that uh, uh, sort of angel funded phase, you're still talking about you know less than one in ten success rate. I would say for health tech at that early phase, it's probably even less than that because it's such a, a long pathway before you see revenue. So people persisting through that stage, and in some ways that early stage, it's important for people who are working in that space, perhaps doing a bit of moonlighting, giving themselves more time. I think time's the critical factor, more so than, you know, uh, inside med tech compared to, say, consumer technology. Consumer technology moves a lot faster. So you need to think about how you give yourself more time to create success. So for those who don't succeed, what's the main reason? Is it that it is such a long road before money comes? Yeah, money is definitely part of it. Um, And, you know, your ability to stand up and, and demonstrate your investability and part of it, you know, in traditional investment, they might look at your revenue, but revenue can take some time to acquire in medical areas because of regulation and adoption. So do you have other success measures that can give confidence to investors? But a big cause of failure are other things. I think team factors are a big thing, finding co-founders that can really work together and stick with it through those tough times to, to get there. Um, and I think that's why purpose is so important because, you know, if you don't have that purpose and why you're doing it, then you're probably not going to stick through that tough early times before you're funded to basically make it your full-time day job. Because I think a lot of the time in technology and in business, people just see the success of it. They don't see the backstory. They see the successes, yeah. And the good thing about... um, like working with Cohort and Luminar X and, and those is putting you in contact with other other people that have been sharing those same experiences. And part of it is actually that mental health for uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, it is tough at times. And, and even when you get funded and, you you know, I know of companies that have raised tens of millions of dollars in funding and they're still stressing about the next capital raise round and they're worrying about how to make payroll of their staff and things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is, it, you know, it's, it's not for the faint-hearted, I think, to move into a, into an innovation startup you want to do it driven out of purpose but you do it because you're excited about the prospect but you need some risk tolerance you need to be able to be prepared to put in the hard work and you know you stay up stressing at night but it's those people that are changing your world effectively right so you have a big impact on on actually making really positive change that you wouldn't have if you just had a day job in the hospital or something like that yeah that's right and i guess a lot of people are still working in their day job in the hospital and then these ideas yeah, are yeah. what they work on at night and so it's those ones that are probably you know making them you know what they they get up in the morning for is that that next bit and yeah part of it is the other jobs are paying the rent you know and uh, giving them time to really develop these other concepts and ideas and I guess not giving up too like uh, I think there would be so many hurdles along the way it'd be so easy to give up having that purpose and and drive can get you through those hurdles yeah yeah and it's interesting like in medtech I come across a lot of uh, doctors and surgeons that have you know technology uh, in innovations on the side a lot of times with those people they don't give up their day job which actually puts a really interesting slant on how they're going to create this innovative startup that they need to find co-founders that are going to do the the day-to-day hustling and development and things like that but they realize that they're still an integral part of that but they're still going to show up and do surgery during the day and, and put in this effort after hours but it puts a really interesting slant on the way they create those startups compared to non-medtech startups yeah absolutely because i guess in terms of someone who's a doctor you've studied for so many years to be that surgeon or that doctor it would be very hard to give up that to focus on 
something that you don't know what the outcome of that is. Yeah, yeah. So one of the, the big challenges you've got is finding co-founders and, and motivating a team that we're all focused on solving this particular problem and, and how we're going to grow the sustainability and the funding to be able to roll that out elsewhere. You know, that's the, the key motivation that you're really trying to create. Kelvin, looking five to ten years ahead, how does the future look for health and wellness entrepreneurs, do you think? Look, AI is going to have a pretty remarkable impact on just about all sectors. You know, I look at it as, you know, having persisted through, you know, the adoption of the internet, the personal computer, the World Wide Web, the, the smartphone in your pocket, network technologies. These are all pretty remarkable technology innovations that have had a big impact, you know, and you, we're seeing that impact on healthcare now with telehealth and, and so on. But AI is the next wave. It's coming. A lot of people, there's a lot of debate about what impact it's going to have. I think a lot of people overpromise, and it's taking a lot longer than people expect, but it will have an impact. And I think um, in some of those areas, it's going to be quite profound. Again, there's a lot of misinformation, like radiologists are going to lose their job because AI can do it. That That's not going to happen. But probably what you'll find is that radiologists that don't understand how they can leverage AI to make themselves more productive and to identify issues with their patients more efficiently to treat earlier. I think those are going to be the big remarkable changes that we see get embedded into our processes. So it's going to take longer than we thought. There's definitely things coming out now already, particularly in that radiology space and other spaces. But I think in 10 years' time, and we look back, it'll be a bit like looking back at the internet and seeing how that's impacted now. You, you didn't really notice it at the time. Everybody said it was going to be big, but it took longer than what everybody thought. And then its impact's been quite profound. And then it just becomes part of our daily life, doesn't yeah, it? I mean, I remember be... thinking, I don't need an email address yeah yeah <laughs> who needs these apple phones you know it's like but now who survives without them yeah they're attached to us what's your experience working here at lumina development and being part of the community here i think the the really good thing about lumina and the and the team here like based out of cohort is the collaboration and growing that community personally i've been really driven through business and everything about creating collaborations so finding partnerships and things like that and i think that that is the biggest impact we can have as a community and, and i think lumina is starting to look outside of just the gold coast but how do we make us a bit of a a hub for creating collaborations both nationally perhaps internationally over time but it's the key is really going to be about forming partnerships and coalitions creating those collisions sharing information every entrepreneur has got something to share with the next entrepreneur it's got a real buzz here i spent a lot of time up in brisbane and elsewhere and uh yeah people here actually interact a lot and and help out a lot and i think you know that comes down to some of the key people that are here as well that really espouse that sort of uh collaboration mindset and uh yeah i feel that. And even for the groups that we bring together, they've got to come into Luminar X as a cohort thinking about as much as what they can take from the program, what can they give to others in the program because it's that collaboration between the participants in Luminar X that will deliver just as much. Kelvin, it's been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you very much. Excellent. Great having a chat with you. To learn more about Lumina and how we work with health tech startups, visit luminagoldcoast.com.au and don't forget to sign up to receive your Lumina Opportunities Pack today. 